Hey, everybody, uh, whether you're tuning in from afar or you're really close to me right now, uh, we have as a church been talking about what gets in the way of a relationship with God. Simply put, uh, if we believe something about God, most particularly, why does that not always turn inside of our, our lives where it's churning and churning and churning and you're like, yeah, I not only believe it, but I behave it. And our behavior models like what we believe and they kind of, they work in sync with each other. Why do we have a lot of days where we're like, please do not watch how I lived that day. Don't copy it. Don't repeat that. I hope you weren't videoing at all. That kind of life. What, what gets in the way? So I want to Let's go after this. Let's just dive in. Uh, what gets in the way of a close relationship with God? We've talked about mistaken identity, unhealthy portions. This is what I'm terming uh, apathy plus temptation. Apathy plus temptation. That dynamic, that, that combo gets in the way of a thriving, awesome relationship with God. So uh, where do I get this from? Well, one, my own life. Uh, two, your life. Three, let's go to the Bible, though, so none of us feel uncomfortable right now. Don't, don't just pretend to love others. We all would say, well, that's right. Good. Uh, really love them. You're like, this is the, yeah, this is just straight up good. Hate what is wrong. All right. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Now, obviously, I highlighted something here uh, because sometimes this gets mistaken as though we're talking about loving others, hating what is wrong, holding tightly to good, which is a bit like love and good and wrong and like deep stuff. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, hey, and don't be lazy. And you're like, what's doing my chores, making my bed, what do I do at work? What's that have to do with? And I think it's actually deeper than your vocation and my vocation. I don't think that was exclusively like, oh, and now a job tip. I believe that scripture is bringing up something that has a tendency to make itself known in your life and my life. It's about apathy and temptation. Here, apathy gives temptation an advantage. And what I find very notable and what I read to you was like talking about love. You and I should love and you, you and I should do something about wrong. Not just like say don't do wrong things, but, but like hate what is wrong. Don't, don't buy into what is wrong. But inside of that is this apathy terminology. And I think I know why. Because I think many of us uh, understand temptation regularly. But when you combine temptation with an already apathetic approach to life, you have set yourself up for utter failure. And if you want to know what gets in the way of a relationship with God, it's when these two are introduced to each other. Uh, there was a novel written in 1927 uh, called Insatiability. You don't need to read it. I'll tell you about it. So the novel uh, was, uh, had an agenda. It was, a, it was a political agenda because at the time, uh, communism and, and Marxism were, were really like at the forefront. And, and so here's how the novel goes. It's about how uh, Poland uh, was going to get invaded by an evil country. 
And so the whole story is like, they're going to get invaded, and, and, and the people in Poland start to freak out, and they begin to have like, the, I mean, if you're going to, I mean, come on, if we're going to get invaded and you're told that, you start to be like, oh no, let's, what do we do? And so they begin to go like, do we fight back? Do we fight back? And, and the way the novel unfolds, they begin to process, how would we fight back? Could we win if we fought back? And, and then they begin like, no, I don't think we could win. Do we surrender? What will surrender be like? And, and they begin to get stewed up inside of the novel, begin to say, this quandary of being attacked, big deal. Uh, so the leader of the invading country extends an olive branch. If you don't take me literally, not literally a tree branch, but extends this invitation to the Polish people that he's about to invade, he introduces them to the Murdy Bing pill. Now, some of you are already getting caught up. You're like, the what? And it, the name of it's not important. Let me tell you what the pill did. The pill would cause you to enter a state of extreme happiness. You would enter this phase of just peace, serenity, if you just took the pill. So this invading leader's like, hey, uh, no worries, you can take the pill, and you won't feel anything. You know, it'll be awesome. And they all took the pill in the novel. It was awesome, and they did. They just felt amazing. They didn't realize they're about to become enslaved. It's good. They, they don't care. It's fine. Take my home. Take everything. Take us over. Tax us. Ah, we're happy. The novel unfolds the whole scenario, though, revealing that it was a momentary state of peace. The pill didn't fulfill its promise. And what happened is the pill, because this was a political book, was teaching that if you're going to be apathetic, if you're going to take a pill and just kind of sit down and let everything else just happen around you and you just numb it and ignore it, you still wake up with a problem. Apathy's a problem. One of my favorite quotes about apathy, Bodhi and her last name is so difficult, so we're just going to call her Bodhi. Uh, <laughs> apathy is the glove in which evil slips its hand. I thought about ending the sermon here and we just go. Because I, I can't say it any more direct. I can tell you the amount of conversations that I'll have with people about how they don't know how they got to where they were and they're referring to really poor decisions, sin decisions, decisions that, that severed relationships with other people, decisions that, that ended opportunities for them. And they're like, how did I get here? Because I know what I was doing is wrong. And I would tell you, apathy when you become apathetic, you begin to do things that a while ago you would have said, I'll never do that. I'll never say that. I'll never neglect that. And apathy becomes very dangerous. Uh, this temptation stuff, let me show you stuff you're familiar with, and, and then you'll, and don't let us yield to the temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you're like, oh, I've memorized that one. Uh, right. Uh, Jesus was asked, you know, hey, how, how do we pray? And he what I find fascinating is if you're going to choose, if you're going to be Jesus and you're going to teach the, all of mankind, like 
Very important ways to pray and what to talk about, what the subject should be. Do you not find it fascinating that Jesus chose in the midst of this? All right, all right. Uh, temptation. What you, when Jesus talks, it's not always just like exactly what he said. You should also ask yourself, okay, I know what you said, but you bringing up, just you bringing the subject up must mean that I have issue with it. It must mean that there's something in my life. You're not just, Jesus didn't just talk for the fun of it, right? I mean, he, he knew that there's, he, his ministry was about three, three and a half years. I mean, you, you talk and you talk diligently. And, and so you and I should, when we look at his words, say, not only did he bring this up, but why did he bring this up? And what does it bring up? And so here, if you didn't know this, Jesus brought this up in the prayer, which means we all fight temptation. The only reason he says, you should pray this way. You should pray this way. You should go to God about your temptations. What that means is that prayer was not just for an exclusive group of people. We all fight temptation. Now, I know most of us are like, amen. I mean, you're not saying amen because you're like, that feels weird talking about temptation out loud in your personal temptations. I get that. But he also says in this by bringing it up that we actually need God's help. If Jesus said that you and I are supposed to invite God to help us, that means, that basically means you need help. So do I. And when you are apathetic about temptation, you are saying, I do not need help. I can fight this on my own. And I don't want you to end up there because I know where that ends up. It ends up where you live what we would call a life of sin, you know? Sin. I mean, it's, uh, sin is a very unpopular word. Uh, we don't like to call it sin. It's like, oh, that was a weaker moment of mine. Um, or that was an oversight. Uh, or covered all me. Like, you know, we're all imperfect. Let's just not talk about that day anymore. If you don't know what sin actually means this is like true definition of, of sin. No one's ever taught you this. You just need to know this. This is important. Uh, is to miss the mark. That's the actual definition. That's what the core of sin, like if you nerded out, got into English and translate, okay, okay, to miss the mark. I'm not sure that that helps you and I fully because you're like, miss the mark. Uh, I, I don't target shoot. Uh, I don't, what, what, let me show you perhaps a different way to understand missing the mark. You're going to have to look at it. A little bit. For those of you who are colorblind, I'm red, green, colorblind. You might be like, I don't see. This is one of those, I find the number thing. No. Uh, temptation is more where your desires, my desires, get every bit of attention. They seem larger, louder, sexier, sweeter. And God's desires, you know that God has them but they aren't getting the focal point. And what temptation is doing, temptation, missing the mark, doesn't want you to land on God's desires. Temptation wants you all about this. Everything about this. So if you fight temptation, you're actually fighting whose desires are you going after? Whose are you choosing? Let me give you an example. Very popular example. Jesus was just, I mean, out and about. Uh, and a couple, I guess I can call them a couple, um, a guy and a girl were having an affair. They got caught. And that culture uh, did not treat women well at all. And so they decided not to out him, which is a whole other sermon some other time. They grab her to shame her. 
and they grab her and they bring her, this what's sometimes called the adulterous woman, and they bring her and throw her in front of Jesus. Their intentions are to get Jesus to validate that they should actually kill her for having an affair, for, for committing adultery, right? Well, he deals with the situation. You can, you can read this. It's, it's in the Gospels where uh, Jesus uh, kind of combats that they're dealing with uh, her sin and not dealing with their own. I know you, you probably have been there. You've got friends like this, right? It's like, that's not what your sin, not mine. So Jesus basically said, well, he says, hey, okay, whoever doesn't have any sin in their lives, throw the first stone, have at it. And everyone's like, yeah, I gotta go shopping. I don't have, there's some, I, and so they all back off, basically. Yeah. But there's, there's a key moment, not accidentally put into the Bible, that's right at the end that is so powerful. Jesus looks at her and says, go and sin no more. Again, sometimes we, sometimes we pacify temptation and sin so much that we treat it like it's no big deal, but it almost costs this woman her life. Right or wrong, it almost ended her life. Now, this should mess with you because most of us are like, you better believe it, David. Adultery is wrong. Adultery is a sin. So bad, David. Yeah, oh, makes me mad, right? And the problem with some of that thinking, getting overly judgmental about this, is something else that Jesus said about adultery that we don't often focus on because it makes us squirm. You have heard the commandment that says you must not commit, you must not commit adultery. Huh? But I say anyone who ever, who even, oops, looks at a woman with lust, has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Okay. Put them on the same slide so that we could really... We've got, yeah, adultery, sex. Uh-huh. Bad, don't like it. Hurts people's feelings. Jesus brings up what goes on in our heads and equates them literally says that they're equal sin. What that should tell you is that when you and I talk about temptation and sin, that, that we're talking about not just like the rules. At the time, the, the Jewish people had like over 600 rules that would tell them, hey, you want to know exactly what God wants? Uh, do this and don't do that. But Jesus would amp it up and talk about how, let's talk about the desires of God. If you've ever wanted to get after temptation, if you've ever wanted to fight temptation, if you ever want to get out of apathy and you don't want that to get between you and God, it, I would say get out of the weeds of all the details first and go after what's the heart of God? What does God want? What desires does he have? And you begin to lean into that. So let's just, base, basic teaching on temptation. Here we go. This is basic. You don't have to take notes, but you do. So everyone gets tempted. I know I say everyone gets tempted. Don't ever, if it's someone, I, just so you know, I have been in a meeting with a group of people where one of the dudes was like, yeah, I don't remember the last time I was ever tempted or ever sinned. And we all were like, I, what? So I just wanted to clear that up. And, and, and if you're like, well, uh, let's talk about Jesus. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, which that should mess with you, led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. 
So, so Jesus was tempted. Just bringing that up, that Jesus was tempted. So, so many of us think that by the temptation, when you face a temptation, when you feel a temptation, when you have this sense all of a sudden you're being tempted, many of us buy into the shame immediately right there and say, how dare I be tempted? Well, Jesus was tempted. So don't buy the shame at the beginning, but do something about the temptation. Let's go elsewhere in the Bible. For the, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. If you've never read this verse, uh, do you know that this just told you the types of sins that are available or the types of temptations that are in front of you? And I see many of us treat as though, though the devil will tell you that your temptation, what you're facing right now, your secret that you're currently holding, if you're holding one, that you're the only one, that you're the worst, you are, I can't believe that you would have this and that you would do this and that you would think this. But according to scripture, that is actually a consistent theme with temptation and sin. And we should be a bit more, well, we'll get later to that, what we should do with it. But let me show you. This is nerding out on theology and the understanding of temptation and sin, if you've never been taught this. There are basically three kinds, three tiers. I put examples. I didn't want to put examples, frankly, because I grew up in a legalistic setting that loved to put examples of sin and say, you especially can't do these. And well, what about that? No, we're not talking about that because we deal with that one. These, though, these are what others deal with. No, listen, I hate putting it in there, but it does help you get a little bit of an understanding. That's why they're there. This is not an exhaustive list. There's temptations of the flesh, according to the scripture I read to you. Some have called it temptations of the senses, where your senses, your literally bodily senses, want things and you indulge that. Sex in wrong ways, food in wrong ways. I did a whole sermon on that for you. Uh, drunkenness. And uh, lately, getting drunk seems to be totally cool for some reason, and I don't know why. Bible studies, getting together. Getting drunk and saying, this is just a good way for us to share our feelings and be honest with each other. And I'm going to tell you, Scripture talks about that not to get drunk. I mean, it's not complicated. There's, there's temptations of the mind, uh, this pursuit of, of more money, more entertainment, living a life of just recreation, going, I just want to retreat and, and recreation and, and escape. Uh, that can get sinful. Stuff, just having stuff, materialism. Uh, Temptations are sins of the spirit, uh, just wanting power, recognition. Getting your value from anyone other than God and diving into that can lead you into these tempting situations going, why? Why do I feel this? What I just wanted you to see is the devil's not creative. Let's stop giving him so much credit that he's inventing brand new ways. No, he's not. Talked with a friend and you ever want to win a war, one of the best ways to do that is to learn your opponent. Here you go. Let's go back to the Bible. Uh, temptation comes from our own desires. So if you ever want to know, like, like why, do I, why, do, why do I want that? I'm so mad that I want that. Why do I crave that? Why? Well, just this can be enough. But temptation comes from our own desires. So let's talk about culture here. Giving authority to our desires is a dangerous way to live. we got to deal with this right now really quickly. 
Right now, we live in a culture right now that will tell you, that will preach to you, that will actually uh, endorse for you, that will support you, that, that if you desire it, go after it. Give that desire your main authority. What you want is in charge. Go with it, own it, embrace it, make it your identity. Yay, we're your champion. The danger in that is your desires will take you to bad places, and Scripture just told us that our temptations actually come out of our desires. So if you give your desires full reign, right now, just think about the stuff that you want, the things that you just crave. That is where you will be tempted. You need a game plan. What's this really saying? Again, we got to go, let's go deep theology. Many of us forget to realize the correlation between these two words. Sin and authority. If you want victory over the temptation in your life, if you're someone who has been saying, I don't know why I can't stop that. I don't know how I got myself there. I don't know why I keep indulging in this. I don't know why I keep holding on to that anger and that bitterness. I don't know why I'm not taking what I believe and transferring it into behavior. I don't know why. I would tell you at the core, you're making this kind of decision. You're deciding who truly is your authority. You're literally battling with who are you letting be in charge? That's why most of society will tell you stop talking about authority because the devil doesn't want you to breach the topic. And when you and I find ourselves doing stupid, it's because you let someone else or something else become the authoritative voice in your life and you went with it. Don't uh, feel super horrible. Every one of us listening right now has done that. Let's go back to the Bible. I didn't read to you everything. Temptation comes from our own desires, but watch, it actually gives us a process of temptation. Again, I don't know if this has been taught to you, so rather than assume that it's been taught to all of us, I'm going to teach it, okay? So here we go. Which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth By the way, for those of you who are students like myself, who are like, you're going to read this. I'm not going to get it. I will summarize it in a second. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, okay, summary of what this just said. Just smaller words, bullet point kind of approach. Here, this is the process for temptation. The reason you and I need to see this, because you pretty much know this, temptation's pattern. I have a desire that entices me in, that eventually has conception. I do it, which leads to death. Here's the problem going on. You and I don't fight temptation here. We fight temptation closer, closer, closer. When I was a teenager, we would always ask our youth pastor, how far is too far? Do you, do you need me to explain what we're talking about? <laughs> Isn't the nature of the question revealing? The reason you need to know this is because you need to decide what's your current tactic at fighting temptation. Are you waiting to, are you not dealing with your desires or maybe culturally saying, hey, actually your desires are totally cool. So you bypass this and all of a sudden you are constantly enticed faster than you thought was possible. And you feel like you're borderline drowning in temptation going, why does the devil seem to have it out just for me? 
because you're not dealing with that. So you need to know this, that the smarter plan would be like, what if I dealt with my desires and I preemptively talked about how I would deal with my desires and react to my desires so that I don't have to deal with enticement and actually screwing up? It's what I teach my kids, and now you got it, okay? So what's some more things that we need to know? And this might mess with some of us. God doesn't tempt us. You know that. The Bible says that. But he allows us to be tempted. I thought I should bring it up. Because some of us wrestle with the goodness of God when God allows bad in our lives or problems in our lives. But God's not going to say, I love you. I want a relationship with you. Now I've got to wrap you up in bubble wrap and hope that you just make... You and I both would agree that choices in life make us stronger if we make the right choices. That that's how maturity works. And you need to know that God doesn't want you to sin. He's not tempting you, but he does allow it. There's books in the Bible that talk about a guy named Job. He allowed the devil to have some work and to go about doing some stuff. Let's keep going here. Um, Every temptation doesn't have to lead to sin. I'm glad some of you are taking notes on this. Because we live in a culture now that says if you're tempted... Well, everyone gives in, so it's okay. Every temptation doesn't have to lead to sin. Example, let me show you in the Bible. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. What? I'll reread this. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. More than you can stand. In other words, you will not face a temptation that... If God's with you as, you, as he's promising to be with you, and you utilize God, you can withstand it. So listen, when, when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. In other words, if you tell someone else, I had to, no, you didn't. <laughs> According to God, which let's go with his word, you, you didn't. You don't have to sin. I think a part of the battle is Choosing that we don't have to lose. But how? Let's, let's get hyper-practical. Uh, when Jesus was tempted, again, you can read about this in the Bible, he's tempted three times, and he has three responses, and you should find this fascinating yet very helpful. Here are the beginnings of Jesus' responses to each of the temptations. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, and he quoted scripture. By the way, uh, the devil even used scripture and twisted it to try to tempt Jesus as though he didn't know what it said. So just so you know, a tactic of the devil is to take scripture and twist it. There's another sermon on that. Jesus replied, the scriptures say. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say. So here's the lesson. The further you are from God's truth, the harder temptation becomes. And the Bible is designed not as a rule book for you, but as a help, a support that you would know what God's truth is. And the more that you know it, the better you are at fighting temptation. So when, let's say, someone gets up here and talks to everybody and says, hey, uh, you should be in a group and study the Bible with people. That's not just because there's some like special statistic we're going after to get the most amount of people into groups or we don't want to just torment you. The goal is that you would study with people so you would know the Bible so that you can fight temptation and have victory in life. Or having coffee with someone. And instead of just talking about your favorite shows, 
What, what if you talked about a verse you didn't understand or an aspect of God that you're struggling with? What if you get talked about that? We as a church provide what's called right now media for free where you can just have Bible study after Bible study on video that you want. You don't have to always watch your favorite show. You can actually study scripture on your device and go after getting the word of God in your heart, not so that you become a know-it-all Christian because who likes those? You want to become a Christian who actually can fight temptation. So, using terminology I like to use, how to make temptation more difficult. I know I'm supposed to teach you how to make it easier. Anyways, how to make temptation more difficult. Don't study the Bible. If you want to make it super difficult on you, don't study the Bible. Okay, you got that? Good, you're taking notes. Another one. Don't tell anyone what you're being tempted. Keep it a secret. If you want it to be super difficult and majorly problematic for you and find yourself at rock bottom going, what do I do? Who do I tell? Oh, no, oh, no. If you actually want to defeat temptation, other people in your life need to know Woo! what you're being tempted. Uh, look where I went today. I won't lie to you, I have stared at this quite often. Oh, man. Uh, I said I was doing it for you when I went to get it. Uh, I wasn't. 100% wasn't doing it for you. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm amazed at is last week I shared some things very personal about my temptations. I'm amazed at how that's freed some of us up. If you have been affected by what I shared in the previous week, take that as the illustration that other people need to know what you're tempted by and learn that people aren't near as judgmental. Here's what scripture says. Uh, confess your sins to each other. By the way, that's not just like a good idea. It's not like, oh, if you're in the mood. And you're like, well, what if they reject me? Uh, find another person. <laughs> confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. In other words, perhaps maybe you won't be healed unless you actually confess your sins to other people. Uh, the earnest prayer for a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Stop keeping so many secrets. Uh, let me show you uh, another one. Uh, don't get back up when you fail. It, again, I don't know if you're taking notes. Maybe this is the worst thing you've ever heard. How to make temptation more difficult? Don't get back up when you fail. In other words, when you actually sin, stay down and let the devil keep kicking you. Uh, I have something I want to read to you. Uh, Many of us, uh, many of us wrestle with this, and so I want to I I land here, okay? I don't know how you've been doing with temptation. I don't know if temptation has got a grip of you right now where you're right now. You got, you're like, oh, if he only knew what was going on or what I've done or what I've said or what, I, what I'm holding, all that. The poem called The Race. Whenever I start to hang my head in front of failure's face, my downward fall is broken by the memory of a race. A children's race, young boys, young men, how I remember well. Excitement, sure, but also fear. It wasn't hard to tell. They all lined up so full of hope. Each thought to win the race or tie for first, or if not that, at least take second place. Their parents watched from off the side, each cheering for their son, and each boy hoped to show his folks that he could be the one. The whistle blew, and off they flew like chariots of fire to win, and to be the hero there was each boy's desire. 
One boy in particular whose dad was in the crowd was running in the lead and thought, my dad will be so proud. But as he speeded down the field and crossed the shallow dip, the little boy who thought he'd win lost his step and slipped. Trying hard to catch himself, his arms flew every place. And amidst the laughter of the crowd, he fell flat on his face. As he fell, his hope fell too. He couldn't win it now. Humiliated, he just wished to disappear somehow. But as he fell, his dad stood up and shouted and showed his anxious face, which to the boy so clearly said, get up and win the race. He quickly rose, no damage done. Behind a bit, that's all, and ran with all his might and might to make up for his fall. So anxious to restore himself to catch up and win, his mind went faster than his legs. He slipped and fell again. He wished that he had quit before only one disgrace. I'm hopeless as a runner now. I, I shouldn't try to race. But through the laughing crowd, he searched and found his father's face with a steady look that said again, get up and win that race. So he jumped up and tried again, 10 yards beyond the last. If I'm going to gain those yards, he thought, I've got to run real fast. Exceeding everything he had, he regained eight, then 10, but trying hard to catch the lead, he slipped and fell again. Defeat, he lay there silently, a tear dropped from his eye. There's no sense of running anymore. Three strikes, I'm out. Why try? I've lost, so what's the use, he thought. I live with my disgrace. But then he thought about his dad, who soon he'd have to face. Get up, an echo sounded low. You haven't lost it all. For all you have done to win is rise each time you fall. Get up, the echo urged him on. Get up and take your place. You were not meant for failure here. Get up and win that race. So up he rose to run once more, refusing to forfeit. And he resolved that win or lose, at least he wouldn't quit. So far behind the others now, the most he'd ever been. So he gave it all that he had and ran like he could win. Three times he'd fallen stumbling. Three times he rose again. Too far behind to hope to win. He ran and ran and ran to the end. They cheered another boy who crossed the line and won first place. Head high and proud and happy. No falling, no disgrace. But when the fallen youngster crossed the line in last place, the crowd gave him a greater cheer for finishing the race. And even though he came in last with head bowed low, I'm proud, you would have thought he'd won the race to listen to the crowd. And to his dad, he said, sadly, I didn't do so well. To me, you won, his father said. You rose each time you fell. And now when things seem dark and bleak and difficult to face, the memory of that little boy helps me in my own race. For all of life is like that race and ups and downs and all and all you have to do is win. to win is rise each time you fall. And when depression and despair shout loudly in my face, another voice within me says, get up and win that race. Every time I talk about temptation and sins, there are a massive group of us who reflect on our temptations and what we have thrown away in our lives. And you might be in a quandary right now where you wonder, should you quit? Should you give up? Can God actually do something? What do you do? So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. If you want to know if you've done something you're so ashamed of or if you've done something so multiple times, what do I do about this? 
So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Do you know when you need grace the most? When you let apathy connect to temptation and you give in to sin and you've gone after your own desires or the desires of someone else and not his. And the response to this kind of a sermon should be to enter the throne room of God and perhaps confess something to him, ask something of him, just don't quit. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, for those on the verge of quitting, will you stop them in their tracks and encourage them to stand back up and to keep running? God, I, I know you have tons of grace and tons of mercy, tons of forgiveness. Lord, would you help us to be willing to receive that, to walk into that? And for those right now trapped by sin, buying the lies of the devil, going after their own desires and letting it have authority, God, would you break those lies and those bonds? In the name of Jesus, God, would you free us from anything that we are trapped by? And help us to live the life you designed, a life that is fulfilling, that is full of you. We pray this in your name. Amen.